Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 6. We'll be looking, this will be our last sermon in this series in Galatians. We'll start in Genesis next week. Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. And I believe I forgot the Lord's Prayer, so as I pray for the Scripture, I'll include the Lord's Prayer uh, as I pray. So, after I read. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but a new creation. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take this, your word, and work it into our hearts. We know that your word is effective, and we pray your word now to learn how to pray. As we pray in our hearts the prayer that Jesus taught his apostles and through them us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Paul is wrapping up his battle speech, that final battle speech of his for the Galatian church and through them to us as well. And did you catch it as we preached the Galatians? Did you catch what we call Paul's FOMO, fear of missing out? Again, if you don't remember, I'll remind you, fear of missing out is a modern day social media kind of thing. It's about when younger people, high school students in college, they see that all their friends have gone to a party and they have to keep checking their social media so they don't miss the party. It's the fear of missing out. Well, Paul has a fear of missing out, but it's a fear of you missing out. So better put maybe FOIMO. He doesn't have FOMO, he has FOIMO, fear of you missing out. Have you ever wondered what exactly makes up this FOIMO of Paul's? In a word, it's loyalty. 
First of all, it comes from God's loyalty to him. In chapter one, verse 15, he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, God's loyalty to Paul is part of what goes into his foimo for you. So he got his loyalty to Paul. Therefore, Paul has loyalty to God. Chapter one, verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That word servant could be translated slave, a voluntarily enslavement to Christ. That God would have his grace, his favor, his affection on me. I want to return the favor to God. And so this loyalty of God to Paul produces a loyalty in Paul to God. And out of that dual loyalty is a loyalty that Paul has to the Galatians and to the church at large throughout history. Chapter two, verse five, Paul said to them, meaning these people that were trying to enslave them in this troublemaking uh, supposed gospel, but it wasn't a real gospel by these people that said that they had to be circumcised and become Jewish and follow Moses' law, and then they could accept Christ, and then they would be Christians. And Paul was saying to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. How easily this truth could be lost. The very core of this bond of loyalty of God to us and us to God and us to one another and out into the world. He is looking into the future here, Paul is, and he does not want anyone to lose it. And what is loyalty? Loyalty is faithfulness, devotion, allegiance, constancy, steadfastness. It is an unshakable, immovable, irremovable bond that God has for us first and then, then we have for him and he, and in turn we have for others. This formula that Paul has, he wants to see the successful transmission of this bond to God's people. Chapter one, verse four talks about this bond flowing from the eternal love of the father. Chapter one, verse four, I believe is the key verse that unlocks everything in the book of Galatians. That it was the eternal will of the father that the Lord Jesus, his son, would give himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. That's the formula. That's the core of it all. Paul does not want you to lose that. And what is it? What does all that say? Who gets the glory? God gets the glory. Why? Because all the work is done by him. Why would you want to make this about something dependent on what you do? Something like circumcision. See, here come the troublemakers. Chapter one, verse six and following. And their appeal to circumcision. Who gets the glory in that? They do and we do because we do something. Now, that's not what circumcision really meant to begin with. And God all throughout the Old Testament uh, also references not just circumcision in the flesh, but circumcision of the heart. 
because circumcision in the flesh was just a symbolic representation of our belonging, our loyalty to God and God's primarily God's loyalty to us, making sinners his people through the work of Christ. Who gets the glory when it's all about circumcision and following the law? Man. Got to become Jewish first in order for Christ's death to be effective for you. And Paul says, absolutely not. But it's the issue of the law that Paul is concerned about here. Now, don't get us wrong. Don't get Paul wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to put myself in league with Paul. I'm trying to represent what Paul is saying. Don't get Jesus wrong. The law is still required. You are still required to keep the law. But the difference is, is you don't keep it anymore in fear of punishment. You keep it because Jesus already did it for you. And this Jesus doing it for you is what creates the bond of loyalty in your heart to God. That he did for you what you cannot do in any way, shape or form. And that's how you keep the law. It's out of that release of pressure that you can now step up into life. And follow him and struggle and wrestle with sin. So that as you live, as Paul says, as you live the life you live in the flesh, meaning in the body, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. And that bond is the natural result of his bonding with you. It is your only boast. There's nothing you did for it, nor was there anything you could have done. And that bond is what you carry into battle. It's your glory. It's your boast. It's what makes it all worth fighting for and fighting for others to have that, to have foimo in the church and in the world. In battle, you will live into your boasts. And the big question is what makes it all worth it to you? There are only two answers that it could be, there are only two loyalties. Loyalty to a dying order which feels most alive, which we'll see in verses 11 through 13, and loyalty to a new creation, which is most alive, which we'll see in verses 14 through 18. First of all, you could have a loyalty to a dying order, which feels most alive. Now, loyalty is a gripping of the heart such that anything that challenges it, that challenges that loyalty, is seen as an immediate threat, worthy of hatred and worthy of elimination. That's the battle we are engaged in. We are to be ruthless in our battle against the voices of the world, not against people in the world, against the voices of the world that also echo in our flesh. Because these are people, oh, look around you. All of us have the same enemy within. The world out there, they're total flesh. They have nothing but enemy, enmity. They are enemies of God, totally and hatred of God. You have the spirit battling against the flesh. So yes, we have stuff in common with them, 
But that's why Paul says, do this battle. Your glory is that Jesus has erased everything that that flesh has directed you to do. He's erased the penalty. So it's really important to settle this core loyalty of your heart. You know, Paul has such a gracious view of them as they were tempted. Maybe some of them went ahead and got circumcised. We don't know. But he doesn't draw their attention to their own uh, hearts. He draws their attention to the indicators coming from the circumcision par party that they were adding to the work of Christ that you should not add to at all. And we rest in Christ alone. So first he says, pay attention to their focus on self. Let's talk about what he means by pay attention. Look at what he says in verse 11. He's had a secretary right now. He's dictating and the secretary is writing all this. And now he turns and he takes the quill up in his own hand. And he says, see with what large red letters I'm writing this with my own hand. Now, why was Paul writing in such large letters? Partly to, to emphasize and with his own hand, why did he need a secretary in the first place? Well, if you remember back in chapter four, verse 13 through 15, he talks about how he came to them because of a bodily ailment at first. We don't, he didn't say what it was in that sentence. And he said in verse 14, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. That's how bonded they were to him. They saw in him Christ and they received him as Christ Jesus. And he says, what then has become of the blessing you felt? Foimo, what has become the blessing? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So that's an indication of what maybe what Paul was writing with such large letters. His eyes were not working correctly. But he has FOIMO because he wants to know, he wants them to have that blessing and joy that they first had that, that caused them to give to Paul this service that if they could, they would give them, give him their own eyes for him to have. Paul wants them to remember, remember both their FOIMO for him and his for them. And so he's drawing, saying, pay attention. You had this. Now look at them. Verse 12. What are their motivations? They want a good showing in the flesh, right? A good showing in the flesh. They were virtue signaling. They're in a Jewish context. And they want to show, hey, we got this many circumcisions. Self-righteous, man-pleasing. But a deeper motivation still at the end of that verse is that they were not wanting, they were wanting to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. What is that persecution made up of? Well, we don't know for sure, but there are indications throughout the New Testament of what this meant. To not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. If you were thrown out of the synagogue in that society, it is a loss of Jewish identity, which means you are canceled. You have no reputation. There means no one will do business with you. That means you are destitute. We saw this uh, partly when Jesus healed the blind man and they, 
a blind man himself was brought before this, the synagogue, the leaders of the Jews, and um, his parents were also brought there. And, and it says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, not all the Jews. This is the leadership uh, of the, among the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him to be put out of the synagogue. That's all that cancel culture right there. And then you have the Jews and Paul, Paul himself, Acts 14, 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. See, they don't want any of this for themselves. Why does Paul put himself through this? It's not just for morality. It is that. Paul expects that result. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't go through that just for a moral code. But for what you're worthy of, of your loyalty, what's worthy of your loyalty, God's loyalty to you. Yeah, one might go through that, right? And what's the effect of these motivations? Look at the middle of verse 12. They force you to be circumcised. They put pressure on you. Now look. Freedom of conscience comes from the Bible. Do you see that here? The Bible was so instrumental in the founding of this nation. Freedom of conscience that we are allowed to have. Paul is saying, don't be forced. Don't be forced by these people. They're looking, they wanna look good before others. They wanna avoid painful affliction. So they put pressure on you because they don't have any FOMO or FOMO like you should have. They don't care about you. They manipulate you for their own skin, to save their own skin. Now, here's a quick application. Don't just take what I say because Andy is so knowledgeable, because that's what they were saying. You know, they're so knowledgeable. They're so nice. Don't just take what any man says. Now, I'm not here to sow doubt. I'm really, I want you to know in the best of conscience that I can muster, I'm trying to present to you what God's word says. So your stance should not be doubt. But at the same time, you should verify. Study the Bible for yourself. Ask questions. The truth of the gospel is what's important. Remember chapter two, verse five. We do not yield to them even for a minute so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So in battle, you'll live into your boasts. So pay attention to their hypocritical boasts. They're hypocrites. Look at verse 13. They're bound to keep the law, but they don't keep it and they know it. Chapter three, verse 10 reminds us for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse for it is written. Cursed be everyone who does not by, abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Have you abided by all things written in the book of the law? Jesus makes it even harder. Because he says, it's not just the outward behavior. It's also the inward thoughts. You call your brother a fool, you're guilty of hellfire. You lust after someone in, in your heart, 
you're, you're on your way to hell. It's from the inside working its way out. Jesus says it's not what goes into a man that condemns a man, but what comes out of him. Paul also reminded them in chapter five, verses two and three. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. They know that they are obligated, but they do not keep the whole law and they know it. Now, perhaps he said this because they were saying they weren't like coming out and saying, you don't need Jesus, you just need circumcision. They're saying, no, you need Jesus, but you need to be circumcised first. And their man-centeredness blinded them to the fact that this is no minor thing. This isn't just a quibble about a belief that we can, that we can find debatable. I mean, you can debate it, but Paul's saying the consequences are life and death. He says in chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So they have a hypocritical boast. They want notches in their belts, saying, see, we have an effective ministry. Don't hurt us and give us money. See, we are not like those Christians who think Jewishness means nothing. Give us money. And it feels alive because you get approval of men that are sitting right before you. You get a quid pro quo. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But these men can also bring pain and that's what they're trying to avoid. So their man-centeredness which is a focus on fallen man, which is a focus on death because the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. This leads to pleasing men, which leads to death. This is loyalty to a dying order. We should be pleasing God, but we can't. And so the only way you can be justified in God's eyes is not by what you do, but by resting and trusting and putting your faith in the son of God who kept the law for you. This loyalty to a dying order of things is a performance for man, which is equal to death, trying to gain authority and power from man. A performance to God, which equals death, unless God does something for you, and then you're free to perform, which is Jesus living the law for you, and that leads you free to perform, leads you free to live in to your boast, to live in to what he calls you to. In battle, you'll live into your boast. So the big question is, what makes it all worth it to you? Only two loyalties, loyalty to a dying order or loyalty to a new creation, new creation, which the other feels most alive, but this is most alive. Paul says, first, pay attention to what makes me boast. And then later, why is this my boast? First 14, there is an animating factor. There is what makes Paul feel alive? And notice he starts with that word, but that is an adversative, which means I'm cutting myself off from all of the stuff I just talked about. This is the gospel's value for me and for you. And he goes on, he not only cuts off, he distances himself. Far be it from me to boast. Our boasts are what animate us what make us get out of the bed and do something. Paul demonstrates his loyalty and out of this illustration. 
And he demonstrates his loyalty because he says, I'm going to boast. I'm not going to boast in any of that. Except this one thing, only one boast. We need a boast to get us moving. And what he boasts in is a, not an animating factor, but a mortifying factor, a killing factor, a killing in order to bring alive. And it's the cross, the cross of Christ. And that's foolishness. Why? What? Because if I make the cross my boast, that is the exact opposite direction of living than the circumcision party, than the world in all of its trying to get power. They want to get power and authority from the Galatians while not caring about them at all. And the cross says that Jesus already has power and authority and therefore can lay it down in order to give it to others. As Paul follows, why is the cross my boast? He says, when I was younger, I thought about power and authority in the exact same way. Chapter one, verses 13 through 14. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is his boast. The word our is a reminder that the cross is the great equalizer. We all share in what the cross means. We are all sinners cleansed with reconciliation with the father and adoption by the father as sons and daughters. He is our father. It's not just us, but it's throughout the whole world. In John chapter four, with Jesus, at the, with the woman at the well, he says that you have to, the father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth, the truth of the gospel the truth of Jesus being the redeemer, the living water. And it's in spirit. It's not on this mountain or that mountain. It's throughout the world. It's wherever any of us are. That is where the church is. So it's a mortifying factor. I got to die to the world. But the mortifying of me brings me to life. Paul says in 1, 19 through 18, I mean, 19 through 20. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, meaning the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's the cross that I boast in. If I can die to the law, because it kills, I can't keep it. If I can die to the law to live to God personally and directly, because Christ kept the law for me in my place, then I can die to the law of men and what they expect of me. So the world is crucified to me. And in the cross, I am crucified to the world. I live by faith with my eyes on Christ. Why? Because he gave himself for me. That is my boast in battle. You will live into your boast. So pay attention to why this is my boast. Verse 15, because this is true life. John 1, 4, it's a quality of Jesus in him was life and the life was the light of men. And it's what counts. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything. What counts is the life of Jesus. We tend to operate in a point system. That's what the troublemakers were trying to do. You get more points. They were wanting more points. And they said, you're getting more points with God if you get circumcised. But here's the secret. Jesus has all the points. And he's sharing. He's sharing all of them. That's why circumcision on circumcision doesn't matter. 
Jesus is bringing life precisely because he shares his points with us. But it's also true life because it's expansive. Verse 16. Because Jesus has life in him, it moves out from the quality of life into a quantity of people. All those who walk by this world, the orientation is to a new creation, not the old uh, dying order. It's not bound by ethnicity. We saw in chapter 328, for in Christ there is neither slave nor free, neither Jew nor Greek. It's not bound by national boundaries. We just recited from John 4. And it's identified by peace and mercy being upon people, according to verse 16. Where does that come from? Well, you know, when we say the Lord bless you and keep you, the benediction comes from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord um, be gracious to you, right? Make his face shine upon you. Number 627 wraps it up. Why did why were the, the Levitical priests to put this on? The people, he said, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Your identity is wrapped up in the peace and mercy of God behind you. Jesus in his cross absorbed the frown of God with God's back turned to him so we could enjoy God's smiling face upon us in Jesus. And this Israel of God here, you could translate this, peace be upon them, even the Israel of God. That's the sense of and here. It's the idea that, look, there's no essential difference between the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God. We are all one. That's how expansive it is. So peace and mercy be upon them, even the Israel of God. The law is kept by Jesus. Israel and us never kept it, even though we committed to it. We are his people by faith, resting only on him. And because this true life alone is also worth this battle. This is why Paul makes this his boast. He talks about verse 17, don't trouble me. He's talking about those troublemakers that came in and preached a different gospel, but it wasn't just a different, it's, there's no other gospel he's saying, but they're trying to make it a gospel. And he, say, he says in chapter one, verse seven, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. It's this gospel and no other. So that's why I can be beaten up. I can be bruised, battered, and left for dead like we read in Acts 14 earlier. That's the quality of this bond to me. And I want this for you because this true life binds us together in verse 18. There's a quantity of this bonding because it is the grace of the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ being with your spirit, meaning that Jesus above all, Lord, authority, power, unseen, unboundaried, his name meaning God saves messianic deliverance. That's what his name means. So in battle, you'll live into your boast. The big question is, what's it all worth to you? Only two loyalties. Which one draws you the most? Loyalty to a dying order, getting points from those who die, or loyalty to a new creation in Christ Jesus, getting points from the one who died for you. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would take this, your word, show us the value, the supreme, utter, superlative worth of knowing Jesus, that he died for me, that he lived for me, that I don't have to perform to get you, 
to show favor on me because he did it for me inside and out in ways I could never imagine doing as a fallen human being. Thank you that you've made me such that I was crucified with him so that all that he has done is credited to me and I can be treated by you as an adopted son, adopted daughter. We thank you, Father. We pray your spirit would continue to remind us of this in the coming week as we go into this battle, boasting only in the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.